Hi team and welcome back to the Learning Future podcast and this wonderful series that we're doing on Education Transformed. Today we have an exciting conversation with two wonderful change makers in the education space. Aliyah Irabu York is the founder of Pupil Power, a nationwide movement in the United Kingdom, which empowers young people to develop their agency to reimagine the 21st century's education system. She started this organization at age 16. She's clearly an incredible young person. Uh, she's also an associate consultant at Big Change and was the youngest board member for Lifter Education. Currently studying at the University of Cambridge, no less. It's wonderful to have you here, Aliyah. And joining her is Eloise Haylor. You know, this wonderful human being that I've been able to connect with through Salzburg Global Seminar. And in her work with the charity Big Change, she really tries to nurture global alliances, in particular, the Big Education Conversation, which has evolved from a singular campaign in England to now become this global movement that was launched at the UN Transforming Education Summit in New York last year. I was very lucky to connect with the team at that time as well. Welcome to both of you. It's wonderful to have you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> it's Luca. And I note that you're both there in, in Salzburg Global Seminar, you know, doing some really profound learning. And of course, Eloise, this is where you and I met for the first time and mm-hmm. kind of some of the work around transforming education, which is the name of this series in partnership with Salzburg Global. So question one, what's something that you're learning at the moment that's really sitting with you as you as you consider the ways that you both contribute and and learn in your case, Aliyah, as well as a younger person? I go first. Um, the first thing I've learned is that actually learning like takes place in different settings. Mm. Um, it doesn't just take place in a in a school building or a school institution. I'm at second year university, at Cambridge, and so it's often people assume that that's where all my sort of like knowledge um, building it takes place when actually. From- yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, I'm in Salzburg. Um, it's term time right now. So if anyone from Cambridge University that teaches me is listening or watching, please just act like you don't know who I am because actually they wouldn't be. Um, Did you get a leave pass? Things like this. Right, um, right. When actually my brain, like the energy, like at the end of the day, I'm like just down here because I've had to use my brain and think in ways that I just don't on a daily basis at university, mm. which goes mm. to show that when you're around, different people when you're removed from your everyday life in another country um when you're in an environment that looks completely different to what you're used to um when you are just in conversation like just dialogue in itself you can just learn so much and it's interesting how a place like cambridge doesn't actually support that or at least advocate for that way of learning um they have a very traditional way of learning which is useful for sure um but i definitely have learned that learning can take place in different shapes and forms and it can be more abstract and weird. Like we've just been uh-huh. taking walks like around the lake and the things that come out of that are so much more rich than me sitting in the library trying to cram information from a book. Um, For an exam. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely, Elia. Um, gosh, this is a great start. I mean, how do you, the difference between schooling and learning and we think schooling is learning when really learning is everything in life. And then how is that being recognized and applied? So good. Eloise, what would you add to that beautiful articulation? Oh, so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think especially being here in Salzburg with so many different people with different perspectives, speaking different languages, mm. um, something I'm really learning is like the power of listening and trying to understand that and deepen that. You'll never really learn that. That's you know going to be a continual um, learning process. Like, thank you for the question. 
I think it's such a brilliant question. I sort of ask myself, what would it be like if I started every day or like every meeting with my line report with that rather than jumping into to-dos and action? Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that's come up here is like, what does it, what does it really mean to listen? It's mm. to who and to what. So it's not just <laughs> the the verbal that can sometimes be a game and certain people dominate in that. Mm. But like, what does it mean to listen to the to the nonverbal, to the precognitive even? Um, what does it mean to really attune to each other in the process of co-creation? Um, and also like the non-human, you know, the, mm. you know, the bird song here is phenomenal. Mm. It's rich. Yeah. Um, but I'm really aware that our culture yeah, yeah. is and there are other cultures represented here that that don't. So yeah, I think mm. that's what I'm I love I love that. Um, gosh, so many places to click. Let's <laughs> click on. I think let's click on listening. I reckon that's because when we think about transforming education systems and the work that big change has really been leading and articulating, as well as part of this group that's been convened in Salzburg. It really, it does. You know, those three Ps of purpose, power, and practice, and certainly power. The idea of having, um, you know, a young person alongside you, Eloise, Alicia, and you know, in that. Aaliyah in that space. Oh, and a nice hug. <laughs> you know, it really is something about the power of agency of co-design of really listening and saying, hey, what's your experience? What are your yeah. dreams for the future? And then to be honest, sometimes us as adults just shutting up a little bit and letting young people speak. Yeah. But active listening, right? Because I think often we can if you just say everybody needs to listen more, yeah. then everyone can do that. But what makes, I think there's a differentiation between those that listen to listen and those that listen to learn. And so um, I, like I believe the relationship that I have with big change or the relationship that I have with Eloise, for instance, is around active listening. Um, whereas in contrast, I've been in spaces with people where I just know they're listening because they just want like me to say what I need to say, but they have already got the assumptions made in their head and they've already potentially got actions that they're going to do. Um, what I'm saying isn't actually influencing them in any way. Um, so I guess listening with no assumptions, listening with no expectations, um, being open-minded and being allowing yourself to be willing to change and move and shape. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, allowing yourself to be moved in movement something I think on I mean it if if I can continue um yeah I think it like really links to the big education conversation right yeah. which is an initiative that um began with big change as a campaign in England has now kind of grown to a global invitation um that's really an invitation to create a space where different people can ask and discuss what they believe is the purpose of education so what is education really for mm -hmm. and for me something that Andrea Schleicher says a lot which is like in his experience a lot of the barriers to change are not in the things that you see on the surface but they're actually mm. the assumptions and the beliefs really the fears that are below the surface and we just don't have enough spaces in society where mm. you can hold that conversation and surface mm. those um and that's where like intergenerational this 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 term of intergenerational collaboration comes in and why it's so magical and special because yeah. i've facilitated and hosted and been a part of loads of big education conversations and it's always with people that are not in the same group as me and so I represent a young person I'm a student 
Um, having conversations with other students is great, but what happens when I'm having conversations with my teachers or my lecturers or even like parents? Um, it's just the the sort of like bridging between the two worlds because we're all mm. in our own bubble, in our own worlds. Like what happens when you bridge together is just really magical, I would say. Yeah. I, I really love I really love this idea. I think, uh, Leah, you were speaking to it that, you know, active listening. Um, I reflect on the power of generative listening, you know, that the kind of, how do you just create a container in which something can emerge from it? And everyone's like, oh, wow, we didn't even notice that would come. This, this, um, the power of dialogue and conversation, I think. And I feel like many of us, because of perhaps the pace of the world, the pace of schools and education systems, you know, everyone is moving so quickly and sometimes it feels like there's not time. <laughs> to kind of sit down, listen to the bird song, Eloise, you know, and actually just get a real sense of where are we in the world? Where are we in kind of the arc of this lesson, this unit, this school, this nation, this kind of species, you know, like, and I, I, I reflect quite a lot in our work on, you know, the disruptive technologies that are bearing down on us right now, you know, particularly generative AI. Um, and, you know, the things that are most human, like listening. Like, I wonder how you would, you know, Ali, imagine going into a conversation being, um, holding open the question, I, I am preparing, I'm prepared to be changed by this conversation. Isn't that an interesting reflection? You know what I mean? As opposed to, oh, I've got some things to tell you, Ali, sit down and let me teach you <laughs> a couple of things. I mean, how, how do you, how do you see kind of the experience changing or what young people are asking for, Ali, from yourself directly? And also, Eloise, from what you're noticing, kind of the big change conversations across the globe. Do you mind like rephrasing that question for me a little bit? Because I, I've I've got so much in my head that I want to like really make totally. Sure well, well, I'm, I'm keeping it pretty open, deliberately, to be honest okay. with you. But I guess here's here's a way I'd put it. You know, if when we talk about education transformation, and we talk about it all the time on this podcast, at least, you know, it's it's a preferred future state. How do you imagine that future state? For education, like the role of young people, the role of the educator or the teacher, you know, in schools and university, what needs to shift? Do you think to get us to that state? Well, I think it's a perfect question um, in regards to like where we are right now um, and what we're doing. So this whole conference in itself is around reflecting on the idea of intergenerational collaboration and intergenerational leaders in different mm. spaces because there's mm -hmm. different organizations here um, and people represent different groups. Um, for me, what I've learned, interestingly enough, so for, like my vision of education and the vision of transforming education has always been around like making education more democratic, thinking mm. about who is, who is involved in the decision-making and how we can, at least we know it right now in the UK context, that we have a hierarchy um, and students and parents kind of fall at the bottom of that hierarchy of decision-making and power. Yeah. And so coming to this conference, I had ideas around already what it meant to, of who holds the power and who are the gatekeepers, right? Um, and what I've learned is that actually it's not about shifting power um we talk about it as if it's really like finite um, yes. and limited and perhaps it's more about sharing power because at least from my experience when i've challenged um the adults around me to 
let young people's voices be heard and have a space as well in on the table um when that happens it always still doesn't feel like enough because actually passing a microphone to a young person isn't going to allow them to create any change having me on a panel representing young people isn't going to spark any change um at least immediately and so i think just even the language around shifting power is it really shifting power um adults can maybe be fearful of that potentially mm-hmm. because they don't want to give up their own power that they hold so sh- like kind of changing the language so like what does it mean to share power mm-hmm. is something that i've been reflecting on a little bit more um and so my vision for education is around making changing mindsets and like kind of shifting people's internal way of being and their behavior mm. to be more comfortable around sharing spaces um and yeah sh- like sharing rather than like giving up because i've realized that uh-huh. people don't want to just yeah. give up um and maybe and maybe that is like a, a long-term future future vision but then i think if the world was all just run by young people then that's even then still not intergenerational right no it's doing no. the complete opposite so it is around like sharing um sharing the space together and making sure that it it reflects there's an opportunity for everyone to feel comfortable like the culture has to really be co-designed by everybody like it isn't enough for adults to just say okay we're going to let young people into the space because that's still on their conditions so it needs to be like sort of co-designed co-created um co- co-owned co-authored i love it yeah um Beautifully put. Yeah. I like it. Eloise, what would you add? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting when you just said, like, adults letting young people into the space. I think something that's come up here, and especially from some of the young people here, is that adults need to be really clear on why they need young people to be shaping education, what they want to learn from young people. Um, So I think for me... A vision of a future education system is one where everybody is learning and that's really celebrated because so I think teachers and adults role modeling the vulnerability that comes mm-hmm. with learning um, really breaks down some of the boundaries um, that I think create a lot of fear and a feeling of inability to express who you really are that's one yeah. of the things that really comes out of the big education conversations yes. is young people choose want to be heard and seen and able to express the kind of multiplicitous things that they are and that shape-shifting all the time and it's just so bizarre that we've created a system where you have to fit into a box like why would we want that when we have multiple crises coming this century and we're going to need so many different skills and so many different people coming together mm. in teams and understanding how to work together and appreciate each other's mm. different skills so that would be a kind of vision and i think you know big change talk about transformation as being a shift in the goals of the system so really fundamental and as opposed to reform um, yes. which is you know it was important but it's it's incremental improvements on the current system that you have but leaving the ultimate goals in place and i would love a system where we're all contributing to those goals and even acknowledging that they might need to change over the yeah. course of this century um we have a system that's flexible and is is change ready yeah, that's so brilliant. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, I think, from a fellow countryman of both of you, um, which is Dylan Willem. And he says, schools are places young people go to watch adults work very hard. And it's sometimes <laughs> like, I, I think, because the, the point here is that we all need each other. Like, if we've learned anything about systems, it's that we're all in this together. And 
like I think your points, Aaliyah, on not kind of shifting power, but sharing it. And I wonder even if it's possible to cultivate it. Like, can we grow power mm-hmm. actually in a community through elevating? Yeah, it's not just letting run, young people run the show because that's that's <laughs> the swing of the pendulum too far. It's actually the co-agency mm-hmm. that comes from young people initiated but held and structured with the professionals around young people so that we can kind of seek fulfillment. I think your point around new education goals is so spot on, Eloise. I kind of think the efficiency paradigm and in some ways the improvement paradigm or reform paradigm is part of the problem. It's a transformation paradigm. Now, we still need, and Dr. Karen Edge, who I think it might be even with you, she spoke about this on on this podcast, we still need incremental change, but it's in what direction? So it's not that we're going to kind of blow everything up and um, say, okay, now it's it's a free-for-all. No, no, there's still going to be incremental change, but those the kind of destination ought to be different, I think. Um, and the and the intention, I'd say. Like, I don't know, but what worries me or panics me about incremental change is that there's no sense of, like, urgency. Yes. Um, and so I think that's what, like, again, for me, I know that the change isn't going to happen overnight, but there needs to be a level of urgency because the impact and the sort of like repercussions of not doing it, the consequences are like life-threatening quite literally. Yeah. Um, and the same way we like, we have, we talk about like the climate crisis with so much urgency and like just mm. not as I want to say create fear, but that people really see the impact it's having. I don't think people see the same impact on education. Yeah. And um, which is why, the big education conversation in itself exists as well to to get everyone involved in the conversation to make education everybody's business. Just because you're not in school doesn't mean you can't contribute to transforming education, um, and doesn't mean it's not relevant to you because learning is lifelong. But yet the school system doesn't um, share that that idea because mm. school, at least of how it's portrayed right now, is about passing exams and getting good results. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I think there needs to be more, more urgency around it. And that's why I'm really intentional about thinking bigger and boldly and more radically, which can scare people about our intentions for transforming education, but not just reforming it. Mm. Um, yeah. I love it. My, my reflection often earlier on that is the danger is very rarely we're too bold. It's always the opposite. Yeah. It's that we're not bold enough. We're not big, we're not big enough. We're not dreaming enough. We're thinking, oh, we'll just tweak the thing on the, no, it's like, we do need a transformation. We need kind of in some ways really significant big shifts. Um, but how can you imagine that if you don't see it? And yeah, that's what absolutely. I think a lot of what's coming out is around people, even when we're like co-designing frameworks and stuff, everyone's just reverting to the way that they know to do it. So yes. we're we're all here with the intentions to just like think of something so like transformative. But the yeah. first thing we go to is writing a policy brief or a policy recommendation. And we've had to snap out of it, like, guys. We don't need to write a literature review. We can do something in a really cool and funky yeah. abstract way. And that yeah. also can be accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting how like play um, is often seen as we were speaking about this earlier, like adults particularly are like, they're so far away from the days where they were playing using crayons. Like we've been doing drawing activities yeah. and people might listen to that and say like, what are you really doing? Like, like, is this just a retreat, a fun retreat? But it's like, when we're talking about really important things and coming up with really um, great solutions, but doing them in really different ways. Mm. So like, yeah, drawing pictures, drawing what that future looks like. And it's yeah. hard to do because you have to, I guess, transform yourself first. Yes. Um, 
and I guess something I said earlier and I'll stop talking afterwards is around like it's harder to I guess I have so much urgency because I can see inside um more clearly what the issues are and I'm I'm scared that the older I get and the further away the proximity away from the actual system the Mm. more I'm not going to actually understand it Mm. and that's I think why there's so much urgency it's like the further you are away like our politicians now like that are yeah. really just old and just it's way it's just if they don't actually understand the problems of today are yeah. still trying to transform things that they experience um and so yeah they're just they're so detached and so unaware of what the real problems are yeah um yeah yeah i mean you've made me think of something that one of the conversations we've had is who who might be the barriers to transformation yeah. It's quite a hard question to ask. We prefer to think of what. Yes. Who feels um, personal and physical. Um, and one of the things that came up was people who lack imagination. Yeah. Oh. And I said, I think it's people who don't feel safe to imagine. Beautiful reframe. Actually, I think that's the part of the problem. And, you know, what we've tried to do with a big education conversation is create just enough structure mm. that you feel safe within these boundaries to reimagine. Yeah. Um, and also to think about the the space in which you have that. So, um, you know, in a school, if you're having that conversation there, there are already pre-existing power dynamics like inherent yeah. in the place, right? But if you have that conversation outside or you have it in a cafe, or you, you feel so it, much safer. Yeah. Different conversations happen and you unlock imagination which is what's needed to kind of achieve this radical transformation that we're talking about That's covid so- was a perfect example like i was having a conversation yesterday with another young person um jarina amazing mm-hmm. and she was just we were literally just discussing like there were so many youth organizations and youth movements that were born out of covid what's interesting about that we wasn't in school uh... right we were we almost had permission to be creative, to think bigger. But when you're in school, and again, now that COVID is sort of like slowed down and everyone's back into school, the momentum is just slowed down. Yes. Because again, you're just like now back in the system and you've got yeah. all these constraints around you and it's it kind of limits your freedom to to think mm-hmm. in these ways that we that is required to transform the system. Yeah. I think this this is this piece on a, an urgency, right? It's so so good. Because I feel like if we really slow down and think about it, you know, this the system that is a legacy system that we've inherited largely and now globally, right? But, you know, initially kind of a colonial Western paradigm, uh, it, fa- it fails tens of millions of human beings every single day. It fails young people, children, and adults. Because I feel like this, there's something about the standardization of of you as a productive unit, as opposed to you as a kind of irreducibly unique human being that has all these different gifts and skills. And I mean, and that's the system conversation. And then of course you see the kind of all the flowers blooming of people that are transforming kind of at their local level. And I think to your point, Aliyah, you know, that's, that's what can happen when people organize, you know, a small group of committed citizens can change the world. Thank you, Margaret Mead. She's right. It's like the catch cry of Salzburg Global Seminar. Like it's so true when we come together and we discuss the real questions at the heart of things. And then of course we need to go away and do the inner work on that because who are we being in allowing the sparks to fall away around us? You know, like that, who am I being in? Am I transforming myself as I try to transform the system? Because the answer to that is no, well then I'm not listening. 
And I can't listen, actually, because it's about, you know, I'm, I'm caught in a loop in some way. Um, oh, gosh, wonderful conversation. I could keep going. I, I've got two final questions for you. Right, one is, let's say we're sitting down in, let's, let's say 10 years' time, because I usually say 20, but things are moving so quickly now. Let's <laughs> say it's 2033. Uh, what kind of hope or dream or imagination, considering we've brought that up, what kind of future do you imagine, Eloise? And what kind of future do you imagine, Aaliyah, for young people, for the human beings supporting them, the adults? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it feels like a long time away, but I know it will just... Think we'll flick our fingers and it will be here. Um, I guess being um, in Salzburg for the seminar, I've really learned that there's a lot of like internal work and development that we need to to do within ourselves before we can even imagine groups of people doing it, communities doing it, a whole society to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I hope uh, that in the next ten years, even by you know, 2030, we we are comfortable with having these conversations. It's nothing that's, it's no longer something that's seen as radical, something that's seen as ambitious. Mm. Um, I hope that everyone's on the same page. Mm -hmm. And there's, we're no longer spending our time trying to convince people why this work is important. Mm. Um, and now we finally, like, we built like a great network of allies. So there's just, yeah, just getting rid of the resistance, I would say, to do this work so we can just get on with it. That's, I think, the biggest challenge is just the resistance and having to constantly convince people and challenge people to imagine this sort of stuff. That's so good. I think it's the resistance. Convince people yeah. and in some ways convince ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's like the, overcoming our own resistance to having to step into the uncertainty and the change and the, the imagination space can be deeply scary. As well as exciting. I have to convince myself sometimes, which is ironic because I'm like leading this work. But like I have to sometimes I go back and I feel like by speaking to people that can't imagine, I internalize some of it sometimes. Yeah. And I have to go back and like be like remind myself of my why, my purpose of why I'm doing this, why it's important, and sort of mm -hmm. like refresh, sort of like, yeah, ref, you know, refresh the tab um and not absorb everybody else's doubt. Yeah. Sometimes I just think, is this? Am I being too ambitious? Is this even possible? Like, mm. I can't see the the impact of what I'm doing, and actually, no, it's yeah, it's it's the steps. It's yeah, it's a it's a journey. Mm -hmm. um, which is why communities like this make a difference because you're always you, everyone goes yeah. through that, and so you need the cheerleaders to be like with you <laughs> and reflect back to you what you you know but have forgotten or know mm. but feel like you can't listen to in that moment because you've absorbed those other yeah inputs. have any samples of everyday acts of transformation which is an initiative that we're both working on which will essentially just like showcase and exemplify all the work in areas and pockets of the world that we Brilliant. just don't see um people real people um yeah. young people just doing things um, that seem small but are are contributing to the bigger picture i love it yeah the bigger picture yeah, transformation big words small steps was yeah <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> a lot of small moments that make up yeah. something it's beautiful it's so it's so beautiful because that's kind of what an any learning community is right it's like yeah. it's 
big goals, but small steps, you know, even the act of learning itself, you know, being in the kind of pit in the mess of like, oh, I don't really understand. And then coming to some point of growth or development or expansion. I mean, it's the thing that excites me the most about any work in education is kind of the possibility that we can expand to ever, ever greater ways and kind of discover more and more about what might be ours to do, you know, in the world to contribute to, particularly community level. It's such a wonderful, wonderful um, initiative. I look forward to following that one as well. Um, final question to you both. What's your take? Oh, <laughs> all right, Louise. Actually, yeah, sure. Sorry. Give us no. Give us actually. Um, it's true. We'll get, frame. How okay. would you frame? Well, this well I'll try and be quick for you. Um, well, I guess building on what you you said, I think um, it would be a world where we can talk about the fear and the resistance we feel rather mm. than numbing it in all of these processes or intellectualizing it or coming up with other excuses for why something's mm. not happening when really it's just I feel scared. Yeah. Um, and then counter to that, where there's real respect for joy as a fuel. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, silence. Oh, it's so profound. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> silence. I'm like, damn, that was great. Oh, real respect for joy as a fuel. I mean, it really seems to me like what we're talking about here is fulfillment. We're not talking really even about like traditional success. It's really a, a, a life worthy of being lived you know an education worth having you know a conversation worth engaging in i mean what really matters most i mean that's a really kind of philosophical question but i think it's really at the heart of this work isn't it it's like are we wasting our time if we're not really involving every single agent as an agent of change um speaking of as agents of change two of them leading you know the big education conversation and, and all a whole bunch of other work. It looks like in the works. What, uh, what would you leave us with both of you? I'm going to go first. I think I need for once to think. Uh, um, take her message I, for us. <laughs> um, so I come from, you know, my role in big change, we see ourselves as a catalyst. And so we really try and, Think about being low ego and staying small and working out what our role is in connecting others, um, bring them together, like enabling things to happen. Mm. Um, and someone here had a really great phrase um, that was, what's the mountain that you're trying to climb? What would it be like to bring people together around that question? And obviously we are here in this alpine location, so <laughs> there's multiple layers to it, but I think it's, for me, an interesting um, question. What, what's it like to bring people around shared challenges yeah. rather than trying to seek agreements around everything? Because that's never going to be possible and that's not how you move forward. So it's actually through through just the doing of the collaboration mm. um, and the bringing into reality the future that you're imagining mm. that you enable other people to feel bold enough to follow suit. Love it. Alia? My takeaway message. So this is like what I want to like the yeah. note I want to what, leave. What are you going to leave people with? It's the, you know, yeah, yeah. Resonating with them, our listeners. I, I would just say, yeah, just reflecting back on like yourself, um, thinking about what role you want to consciously play and going through a sort of like reflection process like an internal reflection process and understanding like ways 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'd say, yeah, just reflecting on yourself and ways in which you can just be a better human being. Um, and I think in turn, it will just humanize the whole process. Yeah. Um, I think that's, we're missing that a lot. Like we've, we've been speaking a lot this week about like jargonizing, de-jargonizing like the language that we use and using these big words and terms that just doesn't land with normal everyday people that mm. whose work this isn't is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess the note I want to like leave everybody on is like, just to think about like, what role do you want to play? Um, this is, like I said, an urgent call for action. And so we need everybody. Um, so I, uh, yeah, just, I ask, join this, join this movement, join this journey and think about what role you are, you're going to play in it in whatever capacity, right? There's, yeah. there's roles for everybody in whatever capacity. That's a beautiful question, Aliyah. Thank you. What role do you want to play? What might be yours to do? Um, as part of yeah being a better human <laughs> the real talk um eloise Leah, thank you so much for jumping in for this podcast conversation during your time there at salzburg global seminar it's been a real delight to hear your views uh about the big education conversation.org which is the website i think people can go to to find out more and see where these these conversations are happening and hosting um one of them themselves but thank you to both of you for the roles that you play as well as joining us for this conversation. Thanks so Thank much for having, having us. us. <laughs> it's been a delight. Great.